Hey guys, this is Pastor Kyle here alongside Pastor Bailey. Grateful that you guys have tuned in to our podcast. We trust that what you're about to hear will be beneficial for your day, and we're grateful that you've stopped by to hear what the Lord is doing in Milledgeville. Good evening, everyone. It's great to see each of you here. All right. All right, so tonight we're going to be in Matthew chapter 21. Matthew 21, we're going to uh, study and uh, see our Lord's uh, example for us to follow as his disciples, as his followers. We will be uh, looking at verses 1 through 13. So Matthew 21, verses 1 through 13. As we uh, prepare ourselves continued here to dive into God's Word. Um, there's a song that I really like from Sovereign Grace Music. It's called When You Move. I'm going to read verse 2. It goes like this. Father, you know all our needs long before we even speak, but your heart is what we seek. We look to you. Jesus, come and build your church. Let your gospel fill the earth till the day that you return. We look to you. We look to you. Let me pray once again before we dive into the scripture. Father, thank you once again for this time, this time to gather. Father, I pray that we never again take it for granted. Um, Lord, uh, it was taken away from us for a time, and it is still taken away from many uh, in our country and even around this world. So I pray as we gather here this evening, Uh, that we remember that, that it is a gift, it's a blessing uh, provided by you, Lord, that we as your family can gather together uh, around your table, around your word, uh, to to see you, to hear you, to learn more about you as we grow deeper in love with you, that we would be obedient servants of you, Lord. So I pray that as we look at this chapter, that you would reveal to us what you desire, that we may grow closer to you. In Jesus' name, amen. So tonight, uh, I'm going to have two points. The first is verses 1 through 11, and the second is verses 12 through 13. So as we study God's Word, as we look through the Scriptures from Genesis to Revelation, especially concerning the New Testament, when we see the example of Jesus Christ, lived out before us, the example of the disciples, the followers of his in New Testament context and culture, we see something very important, and we should learn at least one very important thing about being a follower of Jesus Christ. It's this. As a follower of Jesus Christ, your life is no longer your own. As a follower of Christ, your life is no longer yours. It's no longer yours to do with it what you choose to do with it. It's no longer yours to control as if you had any control to begin with. But especially as a follower of Christ, each and every moment of each and every day, our desire should be this, that we desire God all the more, and in that, that we surrender, live in surrender each moment of each day all the more. We're going to see this in the life of Christ here in Matthew 21 in these first 13 verses. This also means, though, that as a follower of Christ, what are we promised? Are we promised all roses and petals and daisies and everything in this life that it will all be good? Are we? No, we're not. 
In fact, we're promised quite the opposite, that as a follower of Jesus Christ in this world, it will not go well with you. It will not go well. Why is that? Well, look, if we've seen anything more clearly over these last weeks and months in our world, in our culture, in our country, it is this, that the church and the world do not coincide. They cannot live in the same room together. Why is that? Because the church must live differently. Can we be in the same room together as the world? Yes. But can we live under the same uh, roof together? No. The world runs a different race than we as the church are to run. As a follower of Jesus Christ, it will be hard. The road will be hard. It will be difficult. As Kyle preached this morning in the battle against sin, the plan is simple. The directive is simple, but the task being carried out is difficult, isn't it? It's hard to fight sin. It's hard to live this life of sanctification that we're living now in this flesh, in this life in Christ. But all the more, we must live it. We must pursue it. We must pursue Christ with all of our life, all of who we are, all of who we desire to be. It must be Christ in him alone. So in that, it's faith. Faith in Christ alone, by God alone. Faith is what drives us. Faith is what delivers us through each day, through each week, through each month, each year. It is faith that will deliver us through this time that we're seeing in this world. When we have family members who are sick or dying or whatever the case may be, it is faith in Christ alone that will carry us through that time. What of us as the Branch Church Milledgeville? Is there anything on our plate right now that requires a certain amount of faith? Well, yes, there is, in fact. It's called our capital campaign. It's this process, it's this step that we firmly believe as your elder team that God is calling us to as a church. And I'll reiterate, reiterate once again why that is. Why do we believe God desires us to pursue a new building, a new building of which we as his church can gather in week to week throughout each week? Why is that? Because we firmly believe that God desires to use this church, this people, to communicate his gospel throughout this city, that he, by his grace, will bear fruit. Salvation fruit in and among many people in this city because of the truth that will be spoken, sung, and heard from that building, from us, that people. It's quite a task, isn't it? I mean, we may think it's an insurmountable task. When you look at the money goal, it's a large amount of money. It is. When you consider purchasing a building or purchasing land to build a building, it's a large task. But is it truly insurmountable? It is if we will do this, an attempt to do this rather, in and of ourselves. If we will try to drum up some success in and of ourselves, it will be a complete failure. It won't work. We'll tire out. We'll get tired of trying. We'll get tired of doing. We won't want to do anymore. We won't want to try anymore. But, but, if we will abide in Christ, if we will seek his face, seek him in this, then it is possible. Then and then alone then it can be accomplished. 
As we study Matthew 21, 1 through 13 this evening, we're going to be reminded about the authority held by Jesus as the Son of God. And it is that authority that drives our lives today, drives the, that authority that desires the same gospel drive that was seen then in the ministry of Jesus Christ, in and among the disciples of the New Testament time. It's that same drive, that same authority that Jesus Christ desires today. Do you believe that? Do you believe that it is possible for us as a people of God to see the same gospel fruit born as was seen in that time? And if you don't, I ask you why. The same God who drove that success, that gospel success then, is the same God who lives in you today as a follower of Jesus Christ. So you better believe that if you are here, if I am here, if we are here in this city, in this time, at this time, in this place, that his ultimate desire is that we communicate the same gospel that was spoken and communicated then, both through Jesus Christ himself as well as through the disciples. And what happened? Lives were changed. All lives, no. But many, yes. Lives were changed. Lives surrendered to Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. The same can occur today. As we see Jesus in Matthew 21 today, this begins his assertion of his authority over Jerusalem at that time. His authority over Jerusalem, as Matthew himself uh, records for us, revealed in his triumphal entry that we see here in verses 1 through 11, his actions in the temple that we'll see in verses 12 and 13 in Matthew 21, cursing the fig tree, debating with the religious leaders, and woes pronounced on the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, Jesus usurping his authority as the Son of God, as the Messiah, over Jerusalem at this time. So first, let's look at verses 1 through 11. Verses 1 through 11, as we dive into Matthew 21 this evening, first let's understand where Jesus is at this time in this moment. Let's look at Matthew 20, verses 17 through 19. 20, verses 17 through 19, Matthew writes, As Jesus was about to go up to Jerusalem, he took the twelve disciples aside by themselves, and on the way he said to them, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death, and will hand him over to the Gentiles to mock and scourge and crucify him. And on the third day he will be raised up. Jesus, as he enters Jerusalem at this time, is approaching his death on the cross. He is now five days away from his crucifixion. Matthew 21, 1 through 11. Matthew writes, When they had approached Jerusalem and had come to Bethpage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied there and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did just as Jesus had instructed them. 
and brought the donkey and the colt and laid their coats on them, and he sat on the coats. Most of the crowd spread their coats in the road, and others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them in the road. The crowds going ahead of him and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. When he had entered Jerusalem, all the city was stirred, saying, Who is this? And the crowds were saying, This is the prophet, Jesus, from Nazareth in Galilee. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all record the triumphant entry of Jesus into Jerusalem, the week he was to be crucified. The Jewish calendar helps us understand why now it is that Jesus is entering Jerusalem. See, the Passover was to be held on the 14th day of the month. The entry of Jesus into Jerusalem took place on the 10th day of the month prior to Passover. The law appointed that the sacrificial lamb, according to Exodus 12, verse 3, was to be taken up and set apart for the service of the Passover. The sacrifice of the lamb, that the blood of the lamb would be the symbol of the faith of the people in God to provide and seal between life and death. Bethpage, a small town near Bethany, on the southeast slope of the Mount of, Mount of Olives, Bethpage is mentioned nowhere else in Scripture. Can't find it anywhere else but here. In Matthew 21, with the connection of Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem, underscoring the importance of this event. Jesus traveled a lot, didn't he, in his earthly ministry? When we read about Jesus in his earthly ministry, what do we read about? He's in a different city speaking and teaching to a different people time and time again. We read that constantly. The travel accumulated by Jesus in his earthly ministry was hard, very hard. Walking, riding donkeys, camels, whatever was at his disposal, it was very difficult. The travel, it was dirty. His feet were, often for, were, were far more often dirty than they were clean in his time of ministering on this earth. He had no house to call his own on this earth. Once he started his earthly ministry, he forsook all. He forsook all, everything, comfort, everything, for the sake of bringing glory to the Father. And it led him to this week, the week of his triumphant entry, triumphant entry into Jerusalem, five days before he was to be crucified. How then is it that we can complain about the most fickle things in our life when we are being sent out by God to do the ministry he would have us do with our time on this earth? See, God calls his people in. God saves us, brings us into himself, brings us into relationship with Jesus Christ, so that he may send us out. Everywhere we see in Scripture, God uses his people as such. God doesn't keep his people in a central location simply to keep them there. God brings his people in that they may be sent out. See, again, as we've talked about before, we can gather, 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 gather. We can come week by week by week by week. Sunday morning, 
Sunday night, MCs during the week. We can gather, gather, gather. But if we're not going out, are we accomplishing the will of God? No, we're not. No, we're not. God gathers his people in that he may send them out. God ushers salvation into our lives for the sole purpose of sending us out as his disciples to make disciples. He, he is desiring to send this church out. This capital campaign is a sending out. It absolutely is. It's a sending out away from this building to another building. It's a sending out of us communicating who the Branch Church Milledgeville is to a people who may not know anything of us. It is a sending out by God. It's a sending out that God may use us to reach Milledgeville with the gospel. See, it's not just a campaign. It is not just a campaign to raise a bunch of money and buy a sparkly new building or buy a precious piece of land and build a sparkly new building. The whole foundation of the campaign is Jesus Christ. The whole desire of God through this campaign is that we be a people, that the Branch Church Milledgeville be a people that see clearly with our spiritual eyes that we are being sent out by God to accomplish his purpose in this city. We see this again in verses 1 and 2. Jesus sends out the two disciples, widely believed to be Peter and John, to accomplish his purpose for them as well as for Christ. But make no mistake, for them in this moment. Here we see Jesus showing his authority in this time as he prepares to enter Jerusalem. First, having just entered Bethpage, Jesus didn't have time to arrange Prior to his arrival, everything that would be laid out, the house, the donkey, the colt, everything that would be laid out, but there was no arrangement for the owner either. Why? Because Jesus owns it all. Jesus owns it all. Jesus controls it all. Jesus is the all-authoritative one over all. He knew the thoughts of that owner. He knew exactly what had been laid out, the plan that had been decreed by the Father from before time had ever begun for that moment. It's important to note, when Jesus sent out the disciples, notice the words used by him in sending them out. Immediately, you will find a donkey tied in a colt with her. There was no room for doubt nor hesitation from the disciples. Just as Jesus tells us in Matthew 28, 20, he tells us he is always with us all the way to the end of the age, the end of life and beyond. He is with us. He is with us. Therefore, as we are sent out, we can go out knowing with full confidence that we are not alone. But not just that, that but he has already gone out. Do you understand that? That as you are sent out each day of your life, whether it's sent out of your bed to stay in your home, to minister to your children, whether it's sent out of your bed, out of your home, out of your front door, to go to a class or a job or whatever it may be, Jesus Christ has already paved the road for you. Every step you will take has been sovereignly decreed by God for the purpose of fulfilling his desire that he be glorified in all, by all, through all. 
What is it that Jesus told the disciples to tell the owner who requires the donkey and colt if the owner were to ask? Verse three, verse 3 tells us, you shall say the Lord needs them. Now this is not an inclination that the owner is a follower of Jesus and therefore his personal Lord and Savior. Rather, this is further understanding that Jesus is Lord of all. Peter and John should have known this. But through this, he's teaching Peter and John. He's teaching Peter and John that, listen, just listen to me. Just do what I tell you to do. Go where I tell you to go, when I tell you to go, to whom I tell you to go to. Just go. Just obey me. Just follow my commands. That's what he is drilling into the hearts and minds of Peter and John in this moment. See, it wasn't just to simply send them off to accomplish a mission for himself. Jesus was, was seeking to drive himself deeper in their minds and hearts and their desire to obey him. We know that in everything Jesus did on this earth, he did with an eye toward the fulfillment of all Scripture. All Scripture. His coming was not to replace the Old Testament, but was to fulfill it in total. As the prophets of old looked toward Jesus, so he looked upon them for the purpose that all things written of the Messiah would be accomplished in him in their due time. If we've learned anything, church, in the study of Judges, it is this. The Old Testament points desperately to Jesus Christ, the Savior. Points desperately to him as the one who would make all things right. One day, he will come again. All things will be made new. All things will be made right. All things. But we have a mission. We must listen to him we must obey him and we must stop delaying Peter and John did as exactly as Jesus Christ told them to do immediately they went immediately they went to the house listen understand this Jesus didn't gather Peter and John in this moment have a sheet of paper where he had printed out for Peter and John okay Peter okay John here's the man's name he's expecting you at this specific time, in this specific moment, I've, I've already gone and talked to him. I've already told him to secure the donkey and the colt. So, so just know, Peter and John, here, here's the plan. And just know, Peter and John, now go. All Jesus simply said was go. Go as I tell you to go now. And immediately they went. We see that throughout Scripture, don't we? Throughout New Testament Scripture again and again. The disciples, not all of them at all the time, but we see examples that when Jesus says, go, immediately they get up and go. We have to stop delaying. There cannot be any more delay in our lives. Listen, all of us in here by age standards are young all of us are but make no mistake about it none of us knows how long our life will be on this earth what do you desire your impact to be with the short life that you have on this earth 
as a follower of Jesus Christ, what do you desire the impact of your life to be with the short amount of time you have on this earth? Is it just to pass that class? Is it just to get that degree? Is it just to make it through another work day? Is it just to make it through another day as a mom, not doing something wrong to or with your children? Or does it go deeper? Does it go deeper to see that God is sending you to that class to be his witness? That, Mom, God is placing you in that home to be the witness to your children of Jesus Christ. That, Dads, when he sends us off to work, that he is sending us to a place, to a time, to a moment, to be his witness. Stop delaying. As the prophets of old looked toward Jesus, so he looked upon them for the purpose that all things written of the Messiah would be accomplished in him in their due time. Here in Matthew 21, we find one of those fulfillments of Jesus. In verse 5, we see what was prophesied in Zechariah 9, verse 9. The precise fulfillment of this prophecy would not have been missed by those in that time who knew the Old Testament scripture. This brings about worship shown in verse, by the people in verse 8. In verse 7, Matthew is the only gospel writer who mentions the mare donkey. But all four writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, mention the young age of the donkey. In John 12, 14, we read, And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it. Mark 11, verse 2, and Luke 19, 30, we're told that no man has ever set on the animal. The colt was the foal of the donkey, and the donkey was brought along to induce the colt to cooperate and maintain discipline. Jesus sat upon the clothes which the disciples had removed from their backs as he sat upon the young colt, as we are told here, as we're told here as well as in Mark eleven seven. This removal of cloaks by the disciples and placing them upon the young colt shouldn't be missed by us. For it is a symbolic measure to us to understand further. When we are made new in Jesus Christ, we are made new in him, not us. Therefore, we're get, anything we are given, everything we are given, is, is to be used for his purpose, for it is his. Peter and John removing the cloaks from their backs to put them over the colt that Jesus may ride upon the king that he is. What are you holding back? What are you not relenting to your Lord and Savior? What are you not sacrificing? What have you not laid your hands open to in your life to say, Jesus, everything of mine is truly yours? What is it? What is it that God desires to the uttermost? Why is it that in the end he saves us and makes us his own, that we may worship him, adore him, honor him with all praise? It's no mistake that when we read this in Matthew 21, Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem, we read that he is worshipped. This is what we see beginning in verse 8, and it is exactly the result of the actions of Jesus beginning in verse 12. Here in verse 8, with the people, we are told most of the crowd spreading their cloaks on the road, and yet others cutting branches from trees to spread them on the road before Jesus. These are actions of proper worship of the King of Kings, Lord of Lords. 
Recall, though, who removed their cloaks first and adorned the colt upon which Jesus sat. It was the disciples. And this reminds us of the commandment to us again in Matthew 28, 20, that as we make disciples of all nations, of all peoples, we are to teach them to observe, to follow what we do, what we say, what we teach, as we follow in obedience the commands given to us by Jesus Christ. See, the world is following. The problem is the world is not seeing a different example from his church. What example would the city of Milledgeville see from the Branch Church in Milledgeville? Will they see a difference in her people? Will they see a difference in our love for them, our service to them, our desire of God for them? As we follow in obedience the commands given us by Jesus, therefore pointing others' attention to Jesus, then as God leads others, they will act in obedient worship to the one worthy of all praise. By all means, as we go out, share the gospel, but share the gospel rightly and truly. Don't make idols of self. Make, make worshipers of Jesus Christ. Spreading one's garments on the road was an ancient act of homage reserved for high royalty. We see this in 2 Kings 9, verse 13. This suggests that the people recognized the claim of Jesus as the king of the Jews. The humble entrance of Jesus would also ensure that he would receive all the praise, all the worship. What if prophecy had him arriving into Jerusalem being carried in a caravan of sorts by his disciples? lofted up on their shoulders, them slaving away, carrying him, the one to be the Messiah, into Jerusalem. What if that were the prophecy? What would have happened was what happens today when the appeal of any ministry is focused upon the enticements of human nature instead of the person and the gospel of Jesus. What will result is a people who worships what pleases their flesh instead of the one they claim to follow. Listen, that's why at the Branch Church Milledgeville, you will never hear a song that leads you to desire your flesh. You will never hear a sermon preached that leads you to desire your flesh. In verse 9, we read, The crowds were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna renders the Hebrew expression, which is translated, Save now. Save now. Save now. Again and again, the people recited it. Save now. We see it in Psalm 118, 25. Blessed is he, along with the Messianic title, Son of David. Make it clear that this crowd was acknowledging the Messianic claim of Jesus. And I love this quote from Matthew Henry. He said, let, this, let his coming in the name of the Lord be mentioned with strong affections to our comfort and joyful acclamations to his glory. Well may we see, blessed is he, for it is in him that we are blessed. Well, may we follow him with our blessings who meets us with his. 
So the triumphant entry of Jesus Christ into Jerusalem five days prior to his crucifixion. Next, we're going to look at verses 12 and 13. The local church, a place of worship, seeking not human desires. As we study verses 12 and 13, it's important that we understand the preceding 11 verses led Jesus to this point in the temple and led him to demand exactly what the disciples and the people surrendered him surrendered to him upon his entry to Jerusalem worship Jesus demands worship especially in the local church 12 and 13 Matthew writes and Jesus entered the temple and drove out all those who were buying and selling in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who were selling doves And he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a robber's den. This overthrowing in the temple was the second time Jesus had accomplished this task. John 2, 14 through 16 details a similar incident at the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry. There are distinct differences between the two incidents. In the first temple cleansing, that John records temple officials immediately confronted Jesus in John 2.18. We're told none of the officials did such a thing in his second temple cleansing here in Matthew 21. Instead, in the synoptic gospel accounts of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, each describe how Jesus addresses all who were present as he read, as we read rather in verse 13, he said to them, Jesus even made this temple cleansing an opportunity for his public teaching as recorded by Mark in chapter 11 and Luke in chapter 19. Jesus regarded both the merchants and the customers, as we read in verse 12, all who sold and bought in the temple guilty of desecrating the temple, his temple, his church, his worship building. Things being brought and sold, including pigeons and other animals that were to be used for what? Sacrifice. To who? God. As John records in two, chapter 2, verse 14, currency exchangers were needed because Roman coins and other forms of currency were deemed unacceptable for temple offerings. Both merchants and money changers were charging su- such excessive rates that the temple marketplace took on the atmosphere of a thieves' den. This is the kind of commerce that took place in the court of the Gentiles, a large area covering several acres on the Temple Mount. In verse 13, Jesus combines two Old Testament prophecies. In Isaiah 56, 7, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. In Jeremiah 7, 11, Has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your eyes? Listen, if God desires worship to the uttermost, which he does, then it begins with prayer. It does not begin with the singing of a song or even the teaching of God's word. It must begin with prayer. Prayer is very important in the follower of Jesus Christ because it centers our mind and our heart upon who he is, not upon what we desire but upon who he, who he is. This is why Jesus demands that the temple, the house designed for the church to come and worship together in a time of corporate agreement and praise to God, demands that prayer be at the center. When we enter into earnest times of prayer, is the focus me or is the focus him? 
when we earnestly pray to God, the focus is earnestly upon him. The focus is drawn from me to the sovereign rule of God over my life, praising him for who he is, thanking him for all he has lavishly given me and for his mercy in not giving me exactly what I deserve, then petitioning his grace for others. The local church is not to be used as a place where we should find comfort in our flesh. For what is presented to us, our eyes in the huge display screens, our ears and the drums and the beautiful singing, the comfort of the arena and the seating, the aesthetics presented to appeal to our human nature. It's amazing to me that when you leave this country, when you go to a place to another people who are not as prevalently wealthy as we are in this country, they gather together in their church buildings that don't even look as nice as ours here. They don't have the big screens. They don't have the music, the musicians, or anything else. They have the Word of God. They have the people of God. They come together as a people and they pray. They come together as a people and they worship. And then they go out as a people and they share the gospel. Why is it that we need so much? Why is it that we desire and desperately require so much to get our gospel engine started before we even take the first step. I'm not denouncing making the local church building appear as nice as possible. Look, that's what we want. That's what we are seeking in our capital campaign. If God gives us the blessing of the well to do so, then the local church should seek to adorn the building with the appearance of holiness, of excellence, as Christ is excellent. But if the local church seeks to attract both the church and the non-believer with those things that will appear to appeal rather to our human nature, then it's not Jesus at the heart of such a ministry. Rather, it's the effort of man that will lead to false worship and false conversions. It's such a sweet and wonderful time. Listen, it's such a sweet and wonderful time when we gather together as the body of the branch church on these Sunday evenings to pray together. It is. It is. Why? Because we as a family of God are coming together to pray corporately with one another. And as we do, we are laying down ourselves, rising up Christ, submitting to him, to his authority over us, over our church, seeking what he desires. As I sat back there and listened tonight, that's what I heard. As you read scripture and you prayed scripture, you read scripture and you prayed scripture, what you discovered was this, that in your prayer, in your time of prayer, when it is rightly done so before a holy God, it attracts you to him and takes you away from the attraction of yourself. This time that we have on Sunday evenings is a sweet aroma to God and is a sweet time for us as a people of God to gather together and do this. Jesus holds all authority over the church, doesn't he? He holds all authority over the church. For we are his bride. When the church seeks to usurp his authority with attempts to attract people to him rather than using the word of God and true worship to Jesus Christ, it is the world that is seen in the church rather than the church that is seen in the world. 
as we close out here this evening, I'm going to ask you this question. And I want you to think about it not only tonight, but throughout this week. I'd like for you to write it down. What might a life more abandoned to praise and worship of Jesus look like for you? What might a life more abandoned to praise and worship of Jesus look like for you? I simply want to ask that we renew our knowing of who Jesus is, who Jesus Christ is, who he is as your Lord and Savior. Seek him to the uttermost. Ask the Father to renew his revealing to you who Jesus is. See, I think we've forgotten that as the church. If we know who Jesus Christ is and if we have known who he is, then why aren't we reflecting him all the more? Why doesn't this world see something different from the church? Listen, you, you can be guaranteed of one thing, even as China cracks down even harder on the church in that country, you can be guaranteed of this. The church in that land, in that country, will look different. They will look different. They will stand upon the authority of Jesus Christ given to them by God. They will look different. They will speak different. They will act different. Worship Jesus with all your praise. Pursue him in the feasting upon his word. And let it all begin with a time of consistent, fervent prayer at the feet of him, Jesus Christ. Draw more near to him. Surrender to him anew. Our life is short. Our life is brief. Our opportunity to be a witness for Jesus Christ in this earth, in this time, is very brief. What might a life more abandoned to praise and worship of Jesus Christ look like for you? Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you so much that, again, you reveal to us, Jesus, you reveal to us how it is exactly we are to live, how it is we are to live for you, that we are to submit to you anew each day, that we are to submit to you each moment of each day, submitting to the authority that you have over our life, over every moment in our life. Lord, I pray, lead us to see clearly as a people, as a church, that you have provided the way, just as you provided the way for Peter and John in Matthew 21 to go and retrieve that donkey and that colt. You have provided the way for lives to be retrieved for your glory in this city. So, Lord, to that end, just open our eyes that we may see, that we not delay, and that we live this life for you. In your name, Lord, we pray. Amen.